You know, I, I've always found incredible encouragement out of the book of Nehemiah. And I, I have read that many times over the years. And it's an inspiring account of what can be achieved when people do lock arms together and unite around a common cause. And one of my favorite passages is um, uh, chapter 3 of Nehemiah, where we read verse after verse, this group built that section of the wall. This group built that gate. This group were allocated to that section, and they utilized their gifts and their talents and their abilities, and they built that section of the wall. And, uh, you know, one of the things is you read about that over, over chapters 3, 4, and 5, and then into chapter 6, it brings this amazing statement. Now, you've got to remember, this isn't the modern world. They didn't have the equipment that we had, but they say after uniting together around their common cause, they rebuilt the entire city wall in 52 days. That's an amazing feat. But it shows what can be done in such a short amount of time when we all do our bit and we're not bothered by where our bit is, but we all sow in and give gloriously and generously and wholeheartedly to kingdom purpose. We achieve so much more with the hand of God and the grace of God upon them. Back there when they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, so much was achieved in such a short amount of time. And you know, when Jesus puts his stamp on something and he breathes his life on something, every, you know, no, that's another sermon. I won't even go there. But when he does that and we unconditionally follow his lead and we, we give our heart in total devotion to kingdom purpose, blessing and increase will always follow might not happen when we want it to happen. It may not follow in the way we want it to come. But, but ultimately, if he breathes on something and his hand is upon it and his heart is in it and we are devoted to that kingdom purpose, blessing, fruitfulness and increase will ultimately flow into every aspect of your life. You can't but not see that. In 1 Kings chapter 9 and verse 3, in the message version, we read, And God said to him, Solomon... Solomon has just built the temple of the Lord. He has just built one of the most profound structures of his day. And God comes to him and says, listen to me, Solomon. I have listened to and I have received all your prayers. Your ever so passionate prayers, I have heard them and I have received them. I've sanctified this temple that you have built. My name is stamped on it forever my eyes are on it and my heart is in it always. As for you, he said, if you live in my presence as your father David lived, pure in heart and action, living the life that I have set out for you, attentively obedient to my guidance and judgments, then I'll back your kingly rule. How would you like God backing you? I mean, if God's backing you, you can't lose. He said, I will back your kingly rule over Israel. I will make a sure and solid thing on a solid foundation. The same guarantee, he said, I gave David your father, I'm given to you. You can count on always having a descendant on Israel's throne. When we're in our pre-service meeting with all those that serve today in this particular service, I, I was... Uh, you know, basically just sharing how this, this church has an incredible, rich 
history. And it's had seasons of amazing fruitfulness and souls saved. But not only souls saved, but missionaries raised from within this very house and sent to all parts of the globe. We've had people raised up as church planters and gone out. In fact, nearly every ACC church in Newcastle in the Hunter Valley can trace its roots back to this church. It's either a daughter church of this church or a granddaughter church of this church, but there is a connection to almost every ACC church, and that's because his stamp has been on the house. His heart is in the house and his eyes are on it. And yet over the years, this church has faced some pretty big challenges and some pretty big storms. It's gone through fractures. It's gone through splits, but it's still standing. And I believe the reason it's still standing is because his name is stamped on it. He has ordained it. He has established it. And whatever he builds, no one can resist. I believe that's why this house still still stands. I, uh, I've always believed. And I, I'm not going to have a theological debate with you about this, but I, I've always believed that the church today is, is the broadened expression of that original temple that Solomon built. You see, that temple housed the presence of God. It was the gateway from heaven into earth in its day. That's what the church is today. The church is the gateway of heaven onto this broken and this hurting planet. And I've always believed that the, the temple of old that housed the presence of God is the church today that continues to house the people that house the presence of God. And out of the people that house the presence of God, he still connects with this lost and broken and hurting world. God loves the church. He loves the church passionately. I, I'm a firm believer that it's the only thing he's building on the planet. Everything else is a, a total waste of time. It's the only thing he's interested in. Everything else will burn. Some people have challenged me on that statement and have said, oh, I thought he was building me. Oh, yeah, he's building you as a living stone that builds the church. So you see, we're all individual living stones that are grown and stretched and our faith expanded and our calling developed and, and lifted so that we can actually continue to carry the presence of God as the gateway now from heaven through to this broken and hurting world. Jesus suffered and he died for the church. He gave his all for the church. His heart now is to mold her and shape her and develop her and cleanse her and wash her and heal her and restore her and fix all the warts, the blemishes, the stains, the, the, the cuts, the bruises, everything, so that one day he can present her as the bride of Christ, without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle. Jesus suffered and died for the church and he declared that he would build the church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. But the amazing thing is he gives us the honor and the privilege of co-laboring with him in what he is building on this earth. I find that an honor. I find that a privilege that he's inviting me, an imperfect, flawed individual, to go shoulder to shoulder with him and work towards what he's building. You know, Paul, when they had the big debate where they said, oh, I got saved under Paul. He's my man. He's, he's the, he really carries the anointing, Paul. He's, he's, just, he's just the best preacher. He's the best teacher. He's just got the anointing. And I just I, wherever Paul's preaching, I'm just going to be there and I'll get the bus. I'll walk if I have to, but I'm always going to Paul's meetings. And then someone says, no, I got saved under Apollos. 
I disagree. Apollos is more in touch with Jesus than Paul is. And Apollos, you see, you've got to understand Apollos has got a lot more life experience. Paul was a religious fruitcake when he, uh, he got saved. But Apollos, man, he was, he was something. He knows about life. And I, I, he understands me. I, I want to be with Apollos. And Paul comes in and says, listen, guys, it's not about that. It's about one person only. It's about Jesus. And he said, you've got to understand that Apollos is a good man. And he said, and I, I, I serve Jesus as well. But you've got to understand we are co-laborers with Jesus, building what he's called us to build. And that's what we should be focusing on. It's an incredible honor. And we certainly saw elements of the co-laboring in this last week. Some elements, because co-laboring means a lot more than just painting a wall. Sorry, Stan. We still value the painting of the wall. But it's a bigger picture behind the painting of the wall that we really have to focus upon. You know, Ephesians, among other things, describes the church as the body of Christ. Describes the church as the family of God. It describes the church as the army of the Lord. It, it's very, very descriptive, the book of Ephesians, about what the church is. But one of the key things that it describes the church as is the body of Christ. You know, another inspiring passage of scripture that I've loved for many, many years is the, the story of the woman with the hemorrhage. And she had that hemorrhage for 12 years. And one of those accounts is found in Mark chapter 5. And, and this poor woman, we are told, spent everything she had to try and get well. She spent everything she had to deal with the problem, to overcome the sickness that had racked her body for so long. And when you read she spent everything she had, that tells me she went bankrupt trying to get well. But the passage goes on to say, even though now she's broke, she's now a beggar on the street, she's got nothing left, she, uh, she got, got worse. She grew worse. Nothing, not even a slight improvement. So she totally wasted her money. But then she heard somewhere that Jesus was in the area. We don't know how she heard, but she heard Jesus was in the area. And then she thought to herself, if I just find him and if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I don't need to talk to him. I don't need to have a counseling session. All I know is he's a healer. All I know is he's a good man. All I know is he's a, he's a man from heaven that will bring about the change that I have so desperately sought but has eluded me for so long. If I can just find him and touch the hem of his garment. And so she hears that he's in the area. So she goes looking for him, but she can't get in anywhere near him because there's, there's crowds of people wanting to see him, wanting to be healed by him, wanting to get close to him. And this poor woman, she's sick. Understand it. Like when you're sick, you don't want to go to a show, do you? When you're sick, you don't want to go with there's crowds of people. You just want to hide away in bed. I'm sure that's how she felt, but she's desperate. So she gets there and she realizes he's got to be over there somewhere because that's where everyone's looking. So she gets on her hands and knees and she crawls through sweaty, hairy legs to get to him. And she is desperate to touch him. She gets close enough. I don't need to meet him. I just got to touch him. So she reaches out, touches the hem of his garment. And an amazing thing happens. Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? And the disciples, we're told in this passage, say, what do you mean who touched you? There are people everywhere. They're pushing you. They, they need to give you some space, let alone touch you. But they're just, what do you mean who touched you? He said, no, no, no. He said it was a special touch. It's interesting. When the woman touched him, Mark chapter 5 says that immediately Jesus knew and sensed that power had gone out from him. So everybody else was touching him, but nothing was happening. But this woman, with a touch of faith, 
with a desperate heart, with a longing in her heart, I know he can heal me. I know he's the answer. I know he can give me what I need. She reaches out and touches him. And Jesus says, what was that? Who touched me? And the disciples, everybody's touching you. And then the woman fessed up, said it was me. You see, it's interesting. Out of the body of Jesus went forth power. Out of the body of Christ went forth power. What does Paul describe the church as in Ephesians? The body of Christ. I I absolutely believe that he wants to so fill this temple, this body of believers, this expression of the body of Christ, one of many expressions of the body of Christ across our city and across our nation, across our world. He wants to so fill this that when broken, hurting people just come in contact with you, they just walk through the doors of, of our house, of the house of God that we have organized here to honor Jesus and create a base out of which we can, we can uh, gather, a base out of which we can grow, but then a base out of which we can go. People have only got to touch this and power should continue to flow out and bring healing and change to every aspect of our life. Jeremiah 29 verse 12 through 13 says, Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. He said that all your heart is the key to touching God. It can't just be a, a quick blinket prayer that just, oh, God, if you're there, just help me. It's like, no. He says, if you search for me with all your heart, search and keep on searching and you will find, is what Jesus taught his disciples. But when you search with all your heart and like this woman with the issue of blood, you are desperate. You re- I'm not, it's 10 o'clock, for goodness sake. I've been going 20 minutes and I haven't even started. You know, as a result of this desperation, God responded because he said, when you're desperate, when you're hungry, when it comes right out of your heart, he said, I I will come. I will hear you because he responds to that kind of a thing. You know, in Acts chapter one, Luke, who wrote the Luke's gospel, but he also wrote the book of Acts, which is a, a record of the continuing works of Jesus. Remember, Jesus said, you know, the greater works than I do, you will do because I go to the Father. And when I go to the Father, I'll send out the empowering Holy Spirit and you'll do greater things and you'll continue what I'm doing. But you see, Luke, when he wrote the opening line, he says, O Theophilus, he said, the, the work that I, or the, the, the letter that I wrote last time, his gospel, he said, I talked about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And here's my second letter expressing everything he's continuing to do. What we've got to understand is Jesus just didn't come and teach. He came and did as well. And he calls us and commissions us to continue going and doing what he had already started to do. He calls us to complete what he started. He, he didn't finish the work of evangelizing the world and reaching the lost and the broken. He finished the work for their salvation, but he then says, now I need you to go. And an interesting thing, Luke, a few verses later, says that the disciples are standing on the mountain with Jesus and he commissions them to go, and then Jesus ascends into heaven, and they stand there watching him as the clouds just envelop him. 
And then two angels appear. This is, this is really insightful. Two angels appear and they stand next to the disciples. They're not even aware that the angels are there. And they're just standing there, stargazing. Jesus is gone. They've lost sight of him. They can't see him anymore. And then one of the angels says this most profound thing. Why do you stand here looking into heaven? Don't you know that this same Jesus who ascended into heaven will come back again? What they're saying is, what are you doing standing here looking into heaven? He's gone. Get on and go with what he's called you to get on and go with. You know, I've been around long enough in the Pentecostal stream of church to know that, that we have gypsy Christians. And, you know, when the, the, the healing evangelist would come into town, people would just empty out of their churches and come to where the healing evangelist was. When the prophetic voice would come into town, they would empty their churches and come to where the prophetic voice was. And they'd go from one meeting after another, looking for a fix, looking for a high, looking for a touch, looking for heaven to just come and do something in them. What they're doing is they're standing looking into heaven. They're just constantly looking, God, feed me, fatten me, give me what I need, bless me, encourage me, just nourish me, and it's me, me, standing, staring into heaven. When we had our, some of our prophetic meetings uh, here, uh, probably now about two or three years ago in the evening, we had all these people turn up we didn't know, never seen them before, and I'm thinking, I hope they're unsaved, but they, they were gypsy Christians. And next minute, they're over in the corner prophesying over each other and getting our people to come. And I went and shut it down. I said, we don't know you. You, you know, you, you've got to be, you've got to be undercovering. You've got to allow people to judge what you say. You know, we, we've got to judge by fruit. You don't just walk in. So oh, we always go to these meetings. It's standing, staring into heaven. You see, he says, why are you staring into heaven? Get on and go. You see, information without activation is useless. We have to be people who are pushing in to this broken and hurting world. You know, if I put a Bible on this subwoofer, and over on this subwoofer I put a newspaper, and say to you that the newspaper represents the world. It's not much good news in the newspapers these days. But that represents the world. It represents the heart of the world, the spirit of the world, the challenges of the world, the problems of the world. But over here, it represents the kingdom of God. It's, it's God's word. It's the Bible. It's our manual for living. It's our, our devotional. It's our, our benchmark for all of our decisions. And I, over here, let me say this to you, folks. If I, if I am more connected to the world and more involved in the world, but I'm not connected to God. I just go to church because it's the right thing to do, and I want to go to heaven when I die, so I'll go to church and make sure that's enough to get me through. But we're more connected to the world than we are to God. Let me say this to you. You've got nothing to offer the world that they don't already have. If we are more connected to God, and we are standing, staring up into heaven, and we are just... God, touch me. God, heal me. God, do this for my family. God, provide this. God, heal me of that. God, restore this. God, I just, I just need you. I thank you for bringing my life. It's, and we're just connected to God, but we have no connection with the world over here. We are of little value to the king's purpose. Because Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. When the Pharisees got offended that he was rubbing shoulders with the, the prostitutes and the drug addicts and the alcoholics and the down and outers and the messed up, they got grossly offended. He looked at them and said, it's the sick that need a physician, not the healthy. But if we are connected to God in a healthy way, 
And our, our roots go down deep in his word and in our relationship with him. And we have a healthy connection with the unchurched around us. And we are, are rubbing shoulders with them and laughing with them and enjoying it. Because Jesus did that. He dined with them and he laughed with them because he had a genuine care and concern for them. You know, I've said this before, but some of you may not have heard me say this. That You know, there was a couple of comments. There wasn't any gospel message at the men's dinner. And that I purposefully believe God told me not to do it. Just let the men feel safe in the house. Let them come into the church and go, hey, this was great tonight. They didn't Bible bash us. They didn't ram it down our throat. And there was connections and there was value. There was, there was people just walked out saying, I'd go back to another one of those. Well, when they come back to another one, I'm going to share my journey and my struggles with depression and anxiety. And I'll start to bring the God sprinkle of, hey, Jesus has been the key to get me through it. Now, I appreciate today, men, that some of you here don't know God. Some of you don't go to church and you don't want to go to church and I respect that I'm just sharing with you what's worked for me you see so that that's having a healthy connection with God but still having a healthy connection with the world where we don't ram it down their throat we just we just build relationship because out of relationship 80% of people who get saved get saved out of relationship did you know that they don't get saved because some street preacher says you're going to burn if you don't follow Jesus oh really well I better come and repent it doesn't happen it comes out of relationship If we have a healthy balance between the two of those things, connecting with the lost and the hurting world, we will truly be the body of Christ on earth, where out of us, power will flow. Revelation will flow. Insight and understanding will flow. And then people will know that scattered across our city, there are gatherings of reservoirs of healing power that they can find. You getting this? We're all called to gather. We're all called to grow. But we're also all called to grow. But you've got to understand this. This goes with the territory. If we move beyond the gathering and we move beyond the growing, if we move beyond the staring up into heaven, I think there's a time for staring up into heaven. I want Jesus to touch me. I want Jesus to heal me. I want to hide away where it's just me and Jesus. I love that. Because that's out of that is a part of my growth. And I love gathering with God's people. Because part of that is my growth. Iron sharpens iron. Just as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So one woman can sharpen another. We need to, we need to, to gather. We need to grow. We need to develop. But we also, I just look right into the light and I can't see anything now. You're just a blur of just a... You know, we, we, uh, if we move beyond the gathering and we move beyond the growing, you've got to understand we will face resistance. In October this year, we've just had heart for the house this week. In October this year, we're going to have heart for humanity. We've focused internally this week and, and we're going to do that annually. And that's about keeping our facility that God has blessed us with. We're going to be good stewards of this facility. We're going to keep it modern. We want to keep it moving so that people can come through the door and find healing and hope and a place, a base out of which they can gather and they can grow and then they too can go back into their sphere of influence. But in October, we're going to have a big external focus. And it's going to be about heart for humanity. It's going to be about looking locally at how we can actually be a blessing as a church and as we unite our resource together and be a blessing to the unchurched community in which we live so that they, they know 
that we are connected to God and that because we are connected to them, then we can be a bridge of healing power and and life. But if if we move beyond the gathering and the growing, we will face resistance. You know, Nehemiah chapter 3, this lot built this part, this lot built this part, this lot built this part, but then came chapter 4. They were still building. Chapter 4 is all about demonic resistance. People hindering, people sabotaging, people coming alongside to, to, to distract and stop them. And some of them began to get discouraged. And Nehemiah, the leader, had to drop what he was doing to just motivate and bubble them back up again, get them focused back on where they should be focused. But the enemy just kept pushing and resisting and sabotaging and hurting. And there was some fallout and there was some division and there was some strife. And Nehemiah had to manage all of that. But that goes with the territory. There was all this stuff. Let me tell you something. If you follow Jesus with all your heart, you will have a chapter 4. Every one of you will have a chapter 4. It's inevitable. It will happen. Um, you know, but if we don't go, in, in order to avoid our chapter 4, if we don't step out, then we miss the whole purpose of the cross and the resurrection, which, by the way, is next weekend. This Friday, we've got our Good Friday service, 9.30 in the morning, a one hour, one, to, one hour and a quarter hour service. Sunday morning, 9.30, Resurrection Sunday. It's going to be fantastic. Our team have got some great things in store for you. It's all about lost and dying people. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, the author says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set out before us. That word endurance comes from the Greek word hupomene, and it means to stay under, remain. It talks about staying power, to bear trials. It talks about fortitude, uh, which is backbone, while patiently suffering, hopeful continuance in following the voice in the heart of God. It's a life of obedient devotion. If there was ever one godly example of endurance, it was the Apostle Paul. That man went through so much. When you study his life, when you read his journey, what he suffered, what he felt, all because he decided to stop just gathering and stop just growing, but also going. He faced incredible resistance. In the middle of a season where I found myself personally accusing God of abandoning me. Oh, I have those moments. And I've had a few of those in more recent times where I've just had a big vomit all over God. But you know, I learned something. He's big enough to take it. And he doesn't mind me having a vomit. But I found myself accusing him of abandoning me. I found myself accusing the one that I profess to trust the one that I tell you to trust, I found myself saying, God, you've hung me out to dry. You've, you, where are you? Where's your presence? Where's your vindication? Where's your breakthrough? Where's your hand? Where, where is it? And of course, he was always there. But he's just letting me hang out there so I can grow, so I can develop, so I can learn, so I can develop this thing in my own life called endurance. But you know something, 
The Apostle Paul fought the good fight and he kept the faith. And in the middle of my vomit, the Holy Spirit, just clear as, I don't get this often, but as clear as, it wasn't a voice, it was an impression, but it was a voice with an impression. But there was no voice, just an impression, but the voice said, figure that out. I can't, but I just know God spoke to me and said, I want you to pick up your Bible and read 2 Timothy. And I knew it was the Lord. So I pick up my Bible and I begin to read 2 Timothy. My goodness, talk about revelation from heaven just began to flow. And I'm just going to quickly run you through some of these statements that Paul says throughout the entire book. You're going through a tough time, read 2 Timothy. Paul says, never be ashamed, Timothy, to tell others about the Lord. Don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. He was in prison for him. Paul had done nothing wrong. Paul was just serving Jesus. And next minute he's in jail. I mean, come on, where's God? I, if anyone should have felt, God, you've abandoned me. God, you've hung me out to dry. It should have been Paul. But no, he just says, Timothy, I'm here because of him. And I want you to be ready to suffer with me for the gospel's sake. And then he goes on, he says, Timothy, I want you to know God chose me to be a preacher. He chose me to be an apostle. He chose me to go, not just look up into the sky, not just gather and grow, but he chose me also to go. And I want you to know that because he chose me, that is why I'm suffering here in prison. (laughs) That is why I'm suffering, Timothy, because he chose me. And because I chose to go, resistance is inevitable when we choose to go. But we've got to be ready to take it on the chin. He then goes on and he says, and you know, everyone from the province of Asia has deserted me. He's talking about faithful friends who are Christians who were once on his ministry team, who were once people who, who cheered him on, who were once people who said, I will die for you, Paul, etc., etc." When the When the going got too tough and the fire got too hot, they began to drop out. And he just says, look, everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. We're still in chapter one of First Tim- uh, Second Timothy. Then we go to chapter 2. He says, Timothy endures suffering. Still in chapter 2. Because I preach this good news, I am suffering. And I've been chained like a criminal because of this good news. And then he says, still in, or now in chapter 3, he said, you know how much persecution and suffering, suffering I have endured, Timothy? You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, in Iconium, in Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, it was still painful and it was horrible. And everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ, everyone who chooses to go, will suffer persecution. And he goes on still, in, or now in chapter 4, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. I tell you something, when you're going through a hard time and everything's just collapsing around you and you feel like you're lonely and you feel like God's abandoning you, you try keeping a clear mind. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can. He goes on, he says, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. This guy was bleeding. This guy was hurting. Please, Timothy, come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me. Because he loves the things of this life and has gone on to Thessalonica. I think there's a show there he wants to visit. Christians has gone to Galatia. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Timothy, please come as soon as you can. He, he was a human being just like the rest of us. Then he goes on and says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. But the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Be careful of him for he fought against everything we said. The first time I was brought before the judge and no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. What a big man that is. 
May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength. We've got to learn to encourage ourselves in the Lord. But you've got to understand something. If you choose to move from gathering to growing and not just becoming a sponge and growing fat spiritually, but you choose to go, you will face resistance. You will face disappointment. You will face storms and challenges. And they're designed by the enemy to stop you from going. But if we don't go, we miss the whole purpose of the cross and the resurrection. When I read through 2 Timothy... In the words of Forrest Gump, I may not be a smart man, but I think I know what Paul is trying to tell us. Come to grips with this reality. Mama always said the ministry is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. What we are called to do today, Jenny, is fraught with many challenges. And many storms and trials, misunderstandings and rejection and betrayal. It's all, it's all there. There's a lot of trouble and pain in the ministry, Jenny. They're bullets that can jump up and shoot you in more than your buttocks. <laughs> if you haven't seen Forrest Gump, you better go and watch it to get that bit. <laughs> but as we run, Forrest, run. With endurance, he will get you through. We've got to go as a church. We've got to go as a church. We've got to walk out of our Sundays into our Mondays and be the body of Christ. Let the hem of our garment be touched by the broken, the hurting, the wounded.